This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. College football playoff semifinals super preview. Uh, it's been a very interesting lead up to the college football playoff semifinals. You know, normally, you know, we we got a, maybe a couple of us are out there. We're sort of you know, you know talking to Shane Beamer and everybody else who's like really friends with everybody and, and just trying to get as much intel as possible. So we've had to do extra digging. We've had to reach out to all of our sources and participate in some virtual press conferences. It's been a little bit different, but uh, the good news is these are not strange teams, right? Like these are teams that we feel intimately familiar with because the, with the exception of maybe the small body of work of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we can get to our Davos, get our Davos Sweeney on here in just a little bit. I feel like we've got enough data points and we've got a good feeling uh, for what's going to happen. So uh, let's go game by game chronologically. Y'all cool with that? Sure. Okay. Any any big picture uh, stuff before we start getting diving into sort of like the X's and the O's and the matchups or anything that you've got your eyes on in, in terms of the just sort of larger uh, college football playoff discussion? Uh, I mean, I do think you mentioned it. The, the As far as the storylines going into this playoff, and I'm like you said, we're going to get to it. I do find it kind of strange that – in a year in which we've got freaking Alabama playing Notre Dame and then Clemson playing Ohio, Ohio State, the only real storyline surrounding this playoff is Dabo talking crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's so many other ways that this thing could go, but all anybody wants to talk about is Dabo like ranking Ohio State 11th in the coaches poll. It's like every single press conference or Zoom press conference he's done. That is the question everybody keeps asking about. And he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And then it keeps getting repackaged as a new story. <laughs> it does. I think it's fascinating this whole back and forth between Ryan Day. I don't know. Did you guys see the uh, Pete Thamel article this morning about sign stealing that Clemson? No. And this has long been rumored behind the scenes that Clemson is the best sign stealers in all of college football. And there's a lot of anonymous sources in there. Uh, it's another kind of angle in there to add a little bit more fuel to this rivalry. Um, Ryan Day put his name to it. He came out yeah. and, and he was. He said, yeah, you know, Brent Venables, he seems to always know what play you're running. I don't know how he yep. does it. Best in the yep. game at it. So it is like, it is the storyline is all the smack that's uh, being talked. I think one of the things that's not being talked about enough, and it's probably because no one knows. In fact, I just talked to Tom Rinaldi this morning from ESPN because he's on the game and he's talking to both staffs. And I said, hey, 
what is the status of Ohio State? Like, how are their COVID issues in the rear view? Are they back practicing? And he said Ryan Day is, you know, pulling a Bill Belichick, just not letting anybody know. So I think that to me, because I think Ohio State's really hard to evaluate because they only played six games because they were so ravaged by COVID. Um, you know, they had multiple players out, multiple games. Are they at 100%? How long have they been at 100%? Have they been practicing? All those things, Justin Fields, thumb, like there's just a lot of uncertainty um, from Ohio State. Like I just I, – I have a hard time getting a feel because I don't think we've seen them at their best. Like their best game was what against – Michigan State, when half their offensive line was missing and Justin Fields had his best game, I, I don't know. I just don't feel like we've seen Ohio State's best yet. So I can offer uh, this little wrinkle. Alabama and Clemson did let their players go home for the holidays. Notre Dame and Ohio State have kept it locked down. Everybody mm-hmm. stayed together. You know, you know and- what that tells me? Alabama and Clemson got the vaccine. <laughs> well i mean the the way that well, i'm just i'm not even i'm not i would say that as a half joke but I'm, I'm saying seriously do you think that alabama and clemson would risk sending their players home for the holiday before the playoff if they didn't feel a bit extra secure i mean i haven't been scouring the south carolina or state of alabama department health and human services tracker because i know in north carolina they'll tell you like exactly who has the vaccine, like their age, their race, what county they're in, all that other stuff. If all of a sudden we saw a spike of like 18 to 25-year-olds in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> then maybe, then maybe. Uh, I'm sure somebody would call out on that. All right, so let's go. Doesn't also, but no, quickly to that though, like I, Clemson had a lot of players yeah. that already had it. It had same, same without, like I, I think that has something to do with it too, but it does make me incredibly nervous because we've seen bowl games canceled. Yep. What happens if, and I mean, you know, seeing it firsthand, I know more and more people that have had it. And, you know, I, I just get nervous about Notre Dame's got zero positives. The they Notre Dame right. came out and said it. They said, we got zero positives. They've kept this thing locked up. Listen, bless, bless. We'll, we'll start there. Like bless Notre Dame's hearts, man. They, they're doing everything they can to give themselves a <laughs> shot. We're not going to go home for the holidays. We've got zero positive tests. We're going to be as full strength as possible. Uh, so that game, of course, the, uh, the Rose bowl, which will be in AT&T stadium, the, you mentioned on the Locks podcast, and of course, uh, if you've not listened to the Locks podcast yet, maybe you found this through uh, one of our CBSSports.com preview stories. Please go back and listen to that because that's all your great gambling advice. We're going to get a little more X's and O's here, um, but the looking at Notre Dame, Tom, you mentioned that it feels kind of like for reputation, like they are playing against the spread here. Mm-hmm. The the aspects of the way that they get it done, a lot of it has to do with needing to be successful on the offensive side of the ball. We don't spend a lot of time talking about Alabama's defense. Do you feel um, they've Alabama's been a great offensive team at the beginning of games, great first quarter, great first half. Do you feel like Alabama's defense, if needed, is going to be able to step up and like bow up to stop the run. I mean, Dylan Moses is not Donta Hightower. They're a little bit skinnier at linebacker. They've become a little bit more dynamic to defend some of those wide open offenses. And, you know, Notre Dame is not quite that. How, how are you feeling about Alabama's defense uh, in, in this conversation? 
I feel fine. I mean, I, I think that we've seen and we've talked about it. It's since halftime of that Georgia game, like they were they were struggling early in the year. But in retrospect, were they really struggling or were they just getting torn apart by an Ole Miss offense that was tearing everybody apart and tore people apart all season long? And the same kind of offense that Nick Saban's defenses have always struggled to contain because outside of that game and outside of the Florida game, Alabama's defense has just been fine. Like, if you look at the advanced metrics, where do you think Alabama's defense ranks in SP plus? Overall, nationally, just fifteen. Yeah, just based on the way we talk about it, fifteen. Danny, where do you think? Somewhere in the teens, probably as well. Seventh. <laughs> it's a top ten defense. We sit and we were so focused on this team's offense and how explosive it is. And we look at the defense as the quote unquote weakness. It's a freaking top 10 defense. It's perfectly fine. It had a bad game against Florida like everybody does. And it had a bad game against Ole Miss like everybody does. And when I look at this Notre Dame offense, like what the Rebels and the Gators have are guys like Kyle Pitts and Elijah Moore, guys who are vertical threats who can get downfield and make the big plays. Notre Dame has a vertical passing game. It's just, it's not the same as in what those teams do in that they don't have the game-breaking receivers. What they have are tight ends who are kind of, you know, mismatches for defenses like linebackers can't really cover them because they're fast enough to keep up with them, but they're generally not big enough to keep them from catching the ball. And then your safeties and your corners are fast enough, but they're not big enough to keep up because they're giant men. So they're mismatch problems in that sense, but they're not really explosive. Like you can throw a 20 yard vertical up the seam to them and then they're going to break free for a 50, 60 yard touchdown, which is what like Ole Miss does. Florida does. We've seen Clemson do Ohio state can do that. That's not what Notre Dame does. So I think that because of that, they're going to have to run the ball well against this Alabama defense to have success offensively. And I, I don't really recall a lot of teams have been able to run the ball somewhat well on Alabama, but do you remember anybody running all no. over them? I was going to say, no. man, I don't have any, Danny, I don't have any evidence to suggest this is a bad run defense. I was going to go back and try to look at these box scores, but I was thinking of the teams that run the football the best that they faced. Georgia A&M would be one of them. Georgia would be another one. I would say Kentucky, maybe Auburn, you know, like teams that try to establish the run. None of them did. I think... Like I took a lot of heat for a long time because I defended the Big 12 and said, look, this isn't as much as the defense is being bad as it is they're facing great offenses. And now that we've seen those offenses infuse themselves in the SEC, you're starting to see that the old adage of defense wins championships doesn't really reign true. Now it's just enough defense wins championships. And by that metric, Alabama has just, they have they have plenty of defense clearly, but they've they're they're able to get the stops when they need them. Um, like what's the bit the last year Alabama's offense was just as prolific as this one, maybe even more so. But what's the difference? The defense is better. Like they've been able to get the stops when they had to get them. So and then I totally agree that like if you're going to have success against Alabama, and this has been the case for a long time. It's you've got to have a vertical pass game to really challenge them. You go up tempo, and if you have a mobile quarterback, that helps. Now, Florida kind of bucked that trend because Kyle Trask isn't very mobile, but they had one of the most prolific aerial attacks that we've seen this year. But Notre Dame doesn't have that. You know, I, I think at some point, I wonder if there's a team that kind of 
goes super old school because Alabama has crafted this offense to, to defend against those things that were able to beat him. If you're able to kind of flip that script and go back to old school and in the lighter, faster Alabama defense, can you run against them? But I don't know if, if Notre Dame's the team to do it. Yeah. And Alabama ranks like of the four teams in the playoff against the run, they're quote unquote, the worst, as far as their success rate against the run is it's the lowest rank, but it's still 22nd in the country. So it's not like they're getting torn apart and they're still only allowing 3.17 yards per carry. So yeah. I was, it, I was working backwards out. here. Uh, 2.08 yards per carry against Florida. 1.86 against Arkansas. Whoa, 3.63 against LSU, but that's only 98 total rushing yards. Going all the way back to October 31st, only one team has run for more than 100 yards, and only Florida has had more than one rushing touchdown. It's a perfectly, yeah. perfectly fine Alabama defense. And I will say to go back to what you were saying, Danny, about defense wins championships. See, I still think it does. I think it's I think the context of it has changed, though, because I think what we've seen in recent years is that offense gets you to the college football playoff. But once you get there and you're up against three other elite teams, what we have seen be the separator of those four teams more often than not is of those teams, the one with the best defense is usually what separates them. But if you look at this year's, we've got four teams. Like I mentioned, Alabama seventh and SP plus in defense, Clemson sixth, Ohio state's 10th, Notre Dame's ninth. So four top 10 defenses are in the playoff. The difference I think this year with these four teams is going to be which one's offense plays best. So I still think defense does help you win championships, but I think offense is probably this year anyway, going to be what separates the one team from the other, because we've seen in recent years, it's like, there's three good defenses and then there's Oklahoma. And that's why you're always like, well, that's why Oklahoma has no chance to win because they can't stop any of these other teams. All four of these teams are capable of stopping the other. It's just who gets the most stops is going to be what determines who wins the national title. To that point, I feel like LSU's defense played really well at the end of the season. What was it? The mm -hmm. Texas A&M game, the Georgia, and we're talking about last year, Texas A&M game, Georgia game in the SEC championship. They played awesome against Oklahoma in that college football playoff semifinal. Oklahoma's offense couldn't do anything in that first half while Joe Burrow <laughs> had seven or eight first half touchdowns. And then, uh, and then I thought that Trevor Lawrence in his, again, only career loss. I thought LSU's defense did a good job of getting him off his mark uh, in that national championship game and sort of helping blow that game open sort of late in the second quarter. So I like, I like that call there uh, for Notre Dame defensively. Then the, the, the Clark Lee game plan, does that work against one of the best offenses that we've seen of the last decade? I don't know. I mean, cause it's so you watch Alabama play. And they've gone against good defenses. And yet time and time again, somehow Devontae Smith is all by himself <laughs> without a single defensive back within 10 yards of him. And you're like, how does that keep happening? Like, what are they doing scheme wise to make sure he gets that wide open time and time again? Or maybe it's just him. So I, if I'm Clark Lee or any defensive coordinator and I'm, game planning to face Alabama and I'm watching the tape, I'm probably crying a lot to myself. Like, Oh my God, what? Cause what do you do? What do you take away? If you double team or hell triple team Devonte Smith, 
okay, they'll go somewhere else. If you try to take away the pass and force them to run, okay, they'll just give the ball to Najee Harris, one of the top five Heisman vote gators. It's like if you blitz, Mac Jones has done terrific against the blitz and your your secondary is on an island against the best receiver in the country. So it's there's no real way to stop them. Really, all you can do, and I think this is my game plan would honestly be don't give up big plays. Like I would stay, I would do a lot of whole kind of shell coverage, give them underneath stuff. I would make them take what they I'm giving them and put together long drives and then hope that Mac Jones makes a mistake, throws an interception or hope for a fumble. And then when I get to the red zone, take away all that space for them to work. And hopefully I could stop Najee Harris, which is where he's really going to come into play. And now that's a very basic approach to doing it. And it's probably the most logical approach. And I'm sure plenty of other coaches and defenses have thought of this approach. It's just, can you do it? Nobody has been able to so far. No. And, you know, I totally agree with all the things you're saying. Like if you get, if you can, if you can force field goals, that is a massive, massive win against this offense. I think you have to be multiple. I think you have to mix up your looks. Um, any quarterback is going to look human if you get pressure. The problem is, you know, Mac Jones has one of the best offensive lines in front of him. He's very smart. He usually figures out, and so does Steve Sarkeesian, protections so that, you know, you think you might have him. Oh, I got him. We're going to have an extra rusher. And he either gets rid of it because he's got a hot route or they pick up the protection and then that back end, that's how you get Devontae Smith wide open. But I think you got to pick your shot. I think you got to pick your shots. Like when you're going to, when you're going to be risky, when you're going to gamble, I think you have to mix up the fronts. And at sometimes you're just going to have to take those risks where you are going to have man coverage on the back end. And you just kind of hope that maybe we either get to him before he gets it off or there's an errant pass. Um, but I don't hate your game plan there either. The problem is like, I go back to the Georgia game. Georgia did a fantastic job early getting at Mac Jones. He gets knocked, throws the pick six, or throws the interception after getting crushed. And then what does he do? The next uh, series comes back and hits touchdown pass. Like didn't phase him one bit. You've got to repeatedly get hits on Mac Jones to make a, a pocket passer human. And no one's been able to do that. So I think Mac Jones is a lunatic in the best way. Have y'all yeah. ever heard like his teammates talk about the crazed look in his eyes after he gets a hard hit? Like the, the, cause this nickname's the Joker and he had that crazy Halloween costume from a couple years ago. <laughs> but the reason that it's stuck is because he's got that like full Heath Ledger deranged sort of Joker thing where he just, he's like, yeah, let's go. I want to do it again. Hit me again. And like that kind of, uh, you know, gamer that that's kind of being willing to hang in the pocket, being able to bounce back. Like that's, that's really, really tough. That's kind of an X factor on an already incredible, incredibly loaded team. Yeah. Love the that mental thing, side totally of it. Like most, most of the time, you know, if you can get pressure with four guys and then you can mix coverages on the back end, like that's a recipe for success. But you have to be able to stop the run then. That was exactly what Tom was saying. Like, if you try to go that approach, you, are your front four who you're counting on getting pressure, are they going to be able to slow down the rushing attack? It's just, it's going to be a chess match that you're going to be outmanned and you're just going to have to get lucky at some circumstances or you're going to have some, have some moves that, you know, Sark and the Alabama offense just doesn't see. Uh, okay, before we hit the break, and again, our official like gambling picks available on the Locks podcast. Be sure to to go check that out. The, any 
any bold prediction or any hunches that you want to get on the record about what's going to play out between Alabama and Notre Dame? Anything where you just got a little bit of a gut feel that we might see a, a player, a, a you know, way a way a matchup plays out. Um, anything. I think that Notre Dame's defense will actually have a decent day and they will slow down Alabama's offense, but it'll all be undone because Ian book will have more turnovers than touchdowns. Mm. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say it was, well, isn't a prediction, but if Notre Dame is going to be in this game in the second half, that Ian Book's legs are going to have to be a big part of it. I mean, you look at that's the, that neutralizer to a defense that the guy that usually don't account for. Um, you look at the success they had against Clemson the first time around. He had a pretty strong uh, rushing day. Uh, then opposed to the cha- ACC championship game, uh, he had 10 attempts for negative 35 yards. Like they did a pretty good job. And Bama's going to try to do that too. If they're to have success, and this goes back historically look at any quarterback who's had success against Alabama's defense. They're able to run. They're able to be mobile. They're able to get some grounds to make up for some bad plays. They can get you into positive yardage situations. So I would say like if Ian big M book can get it going on the ground a little bit, just to keep them a little bit on their toes, that bodes well for Notre Dame coming up on the other side, matchups to watch storylines and smack talk. Oh baby. It is all in the sugar bowl. We're breaking down Clemson and Ohio State next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. So, uh, mentioned it on the Locks pod. Clemson has played Ohio State four times in football. They've all been in bowl games. And Clemson's won every daggum one of them. Dabo's won the last three. Uh, once against Urban Meyer in... I believe it was the last year of the BCS. So, it was a BCS bowl game. Uh, maybe the Orange Bowl, same year that Florida State, go Knowles, won the national championship. They also played in a semifinal that was a 31 to nothing win for against Urban Meyer. And then the only Dabo Sweeney-Ryan Day matchup that we've had was last year's classic in the Fiesta Bowl. Danny, you were uh, at the Fiesta Bowl, right? I was at the Orange Bowl when Clemson beat Ohio State, that okay. first BCS bowl win, when Dabo Sweeney, that was really like the, you know, we see this braggadocious Dabo now who just wears, after the game, I vividly remember him on the podium and he like planted his flag at that moment. It was like Clemson has arrived. And I remember thinking, oh, really? And I forget the exact words. I want to go find it because it was pretty, pretty bold. 
And yet, really, that was a massive turning point program for a, a turning turning point for Clemson's program. Um, so for as Clemson again, so Clemson is six and three in college football playoff games. That is the tied for the best record with Alabama. Has two national championships tied with Alabama in the college football playoff era, and has six college football playoff appearances. All of them have been coming in a row. Is there a gap between Ohio State and Clemson that is uh, significant enough for that to be taken into consideration as it pertains to college football playoff experience? No, because Ohio State was just here last year. And, I mean, like you mentioned, Clemson has six wins. They've played in the most games tied with Alabama. But if not, maybe for a questionable call in last year's bowl game, Clemson might have one fewer game and Ohio State might have one more. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know if there's a huge experience gap. I think that there's a gap in the teams, although I don't think it's an extensive one. I just, I don't know. I think this is a much closer matchup than probably most people expected to be, maybe even that I expected to be, because last year's game really was a close game. Yeah. And it really did come down to a, was it a fumble or wasn't it a fumble or that, you know, was that a pass interference? Wasn't it a pass interference? And like if those calls, and I'm not arguing if they were wrong or right, I'm just saying if those calls go the other way, it's a different outcome. And I think that we could see a similar situation because like Ohio State's season has been weird. It's like Chip, we talked about it when we did the uh, we, we did the bowl previews for today with Wisconsin how it was stop and start. Ohio State's season was the same way. Like they were coming into the year preparing to play for a national title. Big 10 postpones the season. Kind of throws a wrench in those plans. Then the Big Ten does the 180, comes back, says, "Okay, no, we're coming." So now Ohio State's like, "All right, we've got 8 weeks to play 8 games." They get three games in. Justin Fields is playing very well. Bam. Maryland games canceled. COVID. Come back. Play Indiana. Justin Fields doesn't have a great game. Ohio State doesn't look magnificent, but it gets through. It beats the top 10 team in Indiana. Bang. Their game against Illinois is canceled. Ohio State's got COVID issues. They come back against Michigan State, missing all their offensive line pretty much. They blow Michigan State out of the water. They look great. They look like they're getting back into the rhythm. Okay. That that Indiana game was just a tough test. Bang, the Michigan game's canceled because of COVID issues. And they stop. And then they come back and they face Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship, one of the better defenses in the country. And Justin Fields struggles and looks bad. So it's like, which Ohio State team's going to show up? If the good Ohio State team shows up, then I think they could beat Clemson. I think they're that good. I think that Justin Fields is one of the best quarterbacks in the country when he's on his game. But if the team that shows up against, you know, like Indiana and Northwestern shows up, they've got no chance in hell. Chip, you were talking about last year's Fiesta Bowl, right? When you said you were there? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? I got distracted because I was thinking about the Orange Bowl that I was at. Yes, I was there. And I remember vividly thinking as I was watching that game, this is going to be a blowout. Like, this is ugly. Like, Clemson's about to get embarrassed. And then you had the the targeting call on on who was the uh, the defensive player who got ejected it was controversial yeah. but remember after the game Trevor Lawrence is like that woke me up it got us into the game fired up my teammates and then all of a sudden Clemson was back in the game and then you had the the catch no catch strip sack a strip fumble score all that controversy too but you could make a strong case that Ohio State was the better team last year. They just had a couple of those things go against them, and you know, a couple. J.K. Dobbins didn't J.K. Dobbins get hurt, and like he was killing Clemson's defense at the beginning, and then he got a little mm-hmm. bit banged up. I think he might have tried to play through it, but it was definitely a big change in Ohio State's offense. 
And remember, he had a couple drop passes too, like layup passes that would have been, you know, all of a sudden it could have gotten really sideways. Um, this may sound counter, like counter to what I've been saying, because I don't think it's fair that Ohio State got in with six wins. But I also agree with a lot of people. I know Herb Street's been out there saying this too that it is harder to develop as a team with only six games, especially as Tom alluded to the stops and starts and just the lack of continuity. And the, like, cause it's one thing if you're struggling in a certain area of the game, well then you fix it the next week. Well, what if you were struggling with your offensive line play and you're like, okay, we're going to address that this week, but then half your offensive line is out with COVID. Like that is a detriment to this team. I just don't know if they've had enough time because we're not the usual spaced out calendar where there's plenty of time between selection Sunday and the first playoff game where it's a massive cram session that they're going to be able to iron out all those issues. So that to me is the big unknown. I do. The thing that worries me, and this is where I think Dabo Sweeney has to love what he's seeing and Trevor Lawrence as well is the secondary has been really susceptible all year long on the back end to giving up big plays. And I think that plays extremely uh, to Clemson's favor. Yeah. And I think that like, if you, you mentioned Danny, like there's no doubt in the world that what like Dabo has been saying and other coaches have been saying is that playing only six games has been an advantage to them in reaching the playoff because it's easier to go six and zero than it is to go 10 and zero. But I think that if you ask Ryan day, he would rather his team has played nine games because it helps you. Like you said, it helps you develop as a team. It helps you develop as a unit and figure things out. And plus let's be real. Like the three games that were canceled, Maryland, Illinois, Michigan, (laughs) Well, Ohio State's winning all three of those yeah. games. So it's not like they wouldn't be 9-0 and and in the same spot. But going back to, like you mentioned, the secondary, I think what we need to see is Ohio State defensively in the front seven has been one of the best defenses in the country as far as putting pressure on quarterbacks. They actually rank third nationally in pressure rate at 41.34% of opposing quarterback dropbacks, they're getting pressure on the quarterback. And they've got like five guys. If you go individual players who rank in the top 30 at pressure rate in their front seven, the problem is they're not getting home. Their sack rate is only 6.7%, which is about average in the country. Meanwhile, Clemson is a top 10 team. It ranks 10th in getting pressure rate on the quarterback at 38.03%, but it's third in the country in sack rate because it's gotten a sack on 11.08% of opposing quarterback dropbacks. And that's, I think, going to be the difference. And that's what I think Ohio State needs to do. They can't just get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They've got to get home. Because Trevor Lawrence, under pressure like any quarterback, is not as good as when he's standing in a clean pocket and he's got five minutes to find his open receiver. But under pressure, he's still pretty damn good. There's a reason he's going to be the number one pick in the quarter in the in the draft. So They've got to find somebody to get home. And I think that might be the one thing that's missing is because as a collective unit, they're still great at getting pressure on the QB. It's just they don't have the Chase Young, the Joey Bosa or the Nick Bosa guy who's finishing because Zach Harrison was hyped up as being that guy coming into the season. And he's having a good year, but he has not been as effective as those guys before him were. And I think that is what's hurting Ohio State secondary a lot because those guys, frankly, the last few years, they haven't been asked to cover that lock. Can I say something that might irritate Dabo Sweeney and all the ACC homers that listen? Hell yeah. Like, don't look at Clemson's schedule because 
they haven't played very many good teams. And the one team that they did play that was good, they split with. And I know they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. That to me is also like, you know, we saw what happened Miami. They were really good against Miami. But then look at what happened at the end of the season against Miami. That and the rest of the schedule is just not that great. This will be the most talented team they've faced all year. And that's, that's, that's a scary unknown. Like, and I, that's why, you know, I used, and I've said this, like, it's a, a, you want your team to be tested. That's why Nick Saban, after they played Florida was like, you know what? This felt kind of good. I saw my team respond and I know Clemson was in the game with Notre Dame and they had to respond and they lost the first one and they bounced back, but they didn't get tested too many times. It's different getting tested from by Syracuse when you're, you know, you're at home and you're dead, but you're like, Oh, that's fine. It's a different level of stress when you're getting test in the second half versus a team that's you've gone, you've had this rivalry against, and you know, they have every bit as much as NFL talent as you do. So that's kind of like the other, like there's a lot of unknown in this game that I just don't know. Two things that stand out to me. Uh, number one goes back to getting tested because the Boston college game was a huge test for DJ Uyunga Lale, but also that Clemson defense that was getting shredded by Phil Dracovic in the first half and had to lock things down so that DJ could get into a rhythm, ends up throwing for like 400 yards or something bananas like that. And uh, great performance from senior wide receivers, Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers, as they've played really well all year, stepping up for T Higgins and Justin Ross. But who's the head coach at Boston college? Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley, no longer the Ohio State defensive coordinator. I kind of feel like of of all the like losses and the different pieces that have come and gone since last year's Fiesta Bowl, I kind of think that Jeff Halfley had a pretty good scouting report for how to play Clemson. He didn't have Ohio State players, but you know, he he had Boston College absolutely in a position to try and win that game. And, you know, if Ohio State's defense does end up um, not being able to play at the same level, especially early on. Maybe Jeff Halfley's a part of that. But to your point, Tom, I've really been diving into this and I've been trying to think about, because I've had to write why Clemson will win it all. Why Clemson's awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, you split these up amongst all the writers. Like, here's a little inside baseball. We're not always just cheerleading. It's a thought experiment, right? Like, I've got to make the case. I've got to make the argument. We're going back to debate school. So then I had to, um, balance it out for this podcast by saying, all right, so what is the weak link? I don't think Clemson's offensive line has been great. And I think that Clemson's offensive line, uh, the places where I find it is with a, a rushing attack on offense that has not been statistically at the level it was each of the last two seasons. I see it in Travis Etienne going six straight games under 100 yards rushing. And I see it in how many third and longs Trevor Lawrence just has to bail this offense out. And sometimes uh, he's able to figure it out with his legs. Sometimes he's able to get like a dump off to Amari Rogers with some yards after catch. Sometimes it is Travis Etienne through the passing game. But with Ohio State being good at getting pressure, I do think that for Clemson to win a national championship, this offensive line has to play at a higher level than it's shown through much of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like I said, I think it's going to come down to which team gets the most pressure in the quarterback because this is like, I, I know that Trevor's probably not winning the Heisman. Justin was a top 10 vote getter and neither of them kind of had the season we expected. Trevor's was mostly kind of thrown off because of COVID and Justin was just not having great games, but like, it's still Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. 
it's still two of the best QBs. And we pick them apart when they're they're the top guys in the game. And we look for every single flaw. And sometimes we tend to forget what they're still really good at. And I do think that the goal for either one of these defenses is, is still going to be get to this guy. Don't let him play well, because if you take him down, you're going to stop this entire team. And as we've discussed, Justin Fields under pressure has not been good at all this year. And he holds on to the ball too long at times. And I just think that that's if if Ohio State can protect Justin Fields, they can have success. If Clemson can protect Trevor Lawrence, they're going to have success. And as far as like you mentioned, Jeff Halfley, Chip, he's still only a phone call away. Oh, yeah. If, if you need some ideas on how to do this, you just grind day. Just pick up that phone. You know, come on. What, 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 what do you what do you see? What do we need to be doing here? And he'll I'm sure he'd be happy to help. Yeah, I don't think Coaching fraternity. I, yeah, I don't think that uh, Jeff Halfley would side with Team ACC on that one. I think that uh, <laughs> I think I think whether it's like running it up on Jeff Collins, you know, like I, th- I think we've got our, our fair share of uh, of good rivalries that are really starting to develop uh, with Davo and the rest of the ACC. I think that they would definitely go behind it. All right, same question as the first one. Any bold prediction? Any sort of thought uh, where you're where you're dialed in and uh, and really curious about how it might play out? Trevor Lawrence will lead Clemson in rushing yards again. Ooh, that's a good one. Against, see, that goes against my bold prediction. I was going to say Travis Etienne is a player that we haven't mentioned. I think he goes off for a big game. But I think you could see both Trevor and Travis Etienne run the football a lot. But if you look in two of the biggest games they had and more dominant performances, Travis Etienne was a big part of it. He only went over 100 yards three times, won the opener against Wake, the other, he had his best game against Miami, which they completely dominated. And then in the ACC championship game, it was like, oh, remember Travis Etienne? He's <laughs> yeah. pretty good. Like, I think we might see and, – and good for Clemson for maybe lightening his workload and, you know, making sure he's okay for the NFL and kind of – but I think you'll see – I think you'll see a healthy dose of uh, Travis Etienne in this game. He is Danny Cannell. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Enjoy the college football playoff semifinals. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.